In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're talking about the latest mind-boggling developments in the FTX collapse saga, but that's not all. We've got news about some incredible new Cardano updates, a critique of proof of reserves, an Ethereum layer two that's poised for a big year ahead, and more. So that said, you know the drill. Grab yourself a coffee, make sure you are subscribed and stick around for the whole episode today, and be sure to be aware of scammers in the comments. I will not reach out to you on social media or in the YouTube comments. Now, the ripple effects keep coming in the wake of the FTX and Alameda research implosion that left a double-digit billion-dollar hole in the balance sheet of those embattled companies and in the wallets of users who had funds on the platform. Now, unfortunately, like we talked about a couple weeks ago now, it looks like FTX was the earthquake, but the resulting tsunami may be arriving later in the form of notable insolvencies or notable bankruptcies of big players in the crypto space. And one of those players, Genesis Global, an institutional lender, halted withdrawals this week, citing liquidity issues as a result of abnormal conditions and market turmoil. And this is probably an issue. And this comes after reports that Genesis had exposure to FTX's collapse to the tune of $175 million, which prompted Genesis' parent company, Digital Currency Group, or DCG, to provide $140 million to help mitigate those losses. Ostensibly, DCG and Genesis are trying to raise $1 billion by Monday close of business, and they don't have any takers so far, so we'll see how that goes. But with DCG spokespeople and public leaders like Barry Silbert completely silent on social media, it's looking like things might be worse than we know right now at DCG and its subsidiaries pending further clarity. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens there. Now, after that Genesis news broke, Gemini Earn, a yield-bearing product in the Gemini Exchange suite of products, also announced it would halt withdrawals due to its reliance on Genesis as a lender. Contagion strikes again. You see how all this stuff is connected. From there, rumors started to swirl around this pillar of institutional crypto exposure, Grayscale Capital, and that they would also be affected here. And so far, we've not seen any evidence that explicitly shows there's any problem at Grayscale or that reserves are at risk. That said, Grayscale did stoke those fears a little bit by tweeting a thread that basically said, hey, everything's fine, but they won't do proof of reserves because of security reasons. So they won't expose the wallet addresses where the Bitcoin is held for their GBTC offering. Now, I've worked with traditional finance companies before, and this sounds like something that one of those organizations would say through PR, not realizing how shady it actually sounds. However, Saying you won't release wallet information or show reserves leaves a lot of room for speculation about what there is to hide, especially amongst people like us in crypto who want transparency by default and also have just been burned mercilessly by opaque systems in recent weeks. As we all know, privacy does not equal malfeasance. And the concerning trend, though, is that many companies like BlockFi that say, hey, everything's fine are actually not fine. So again, this is a time will tell one. And finally, if we need more insanity, a very wild twist came out of the early days of the FTX bankruptcy proceedings as acting CEO of FTX, John J. Ray III, who happened to be the insolvency attorney for the Enron implosion, publicly dismissed the wild tweet threads that Sam Bankman-Fried, former CEO of FTX, had been publishing, which is no surprise. The tweets are ridiculous, but the more crazy part is that Ray III stated that the state of accounting at FTX, or lack thereof, is worse than what he saw at Enron, and that's very bad. Considering Enron was um, among the worst implosions of 
a company in history. This all but confirms the state of finances at FTX and its subsidiaries are far worse than we even know right now. And it gives credence to the idea that the worst is unfortunately not behind us, despite what you read online. So stay vigilant, folks. There could be more surprises ahead. Now, with all the negative news right now, there's some positive news in the world of Cardano, a project that's among those least affected by the FTX situation due to its complete lack of exposure there. Oh, and by the way, there's a public service announcement related to crypto that I want to share with you after this. So make sure that you don't click away. Stick around for that one. Anyway, back to Cardano for a minute. This week, the development arm behind Cardano, IOG, announced a privacy-focused sidechain called Midnight, which will offer programmability with privacy for developers and users alike. The sidechain, which will have its own security guarantee, so will operate as a separate blockchain, will likely be closely integrated with the Cardano mainnet, offering a loosely coupled but highly connected environment for developers to create both privacy-first and transparent and open applications in the Cardano ecosystem. Now, we're in the early days of Midnight. It was just announced. There's a lot more details to come. So I'll make a full deep dive later on as more info is revealed and I can dive in and sort of get my hands dirty there. But for now, here's what you need to know about Midnight if you're just an interested person in the Cardano space. Midnight is a private by default network which enables execution of logic in the form of code. And what this means is that transactions and smart contract executions are private unless explicitly designated otherwise by the user. In other words, if I'm transacting on midnight, it would be private and opaque by default. But I could optionally expose this information to a set of viewers that I choose by explicitly signing to do so cryptographically with my wallet. Again, I will go into more detail in a full video, but that's the benefit here. It's a huge development in the Cardano space. Having a private environment to operate in is really, really important. And lastly, there is a native cryptocurrency, Dust, which I'm not going to spend time talking about because the coin is not the important part, the function and the tech and the value is. So I don't want speculators to focus on that part of it. But now you know there is a coin. It's called Dust. And this was not the only notable announcement this week from Cardano either, because after a long period of waiting, it seems that stable coins will finally be arriving on Cardano after all, one of which will be a regulated USD-pegged stablecoin with full reserves that will be issued by Emergo, the major commercial arm in the Cardano space. In a time where stablecoins are at center stage in the collapse of crypto, it's a little tricky to be building for stablecoins in this space, so I'm sure that that played into the delay of stablecoins introduction to Cardano. But this new stablecoin by Emergo, USDA, will be the first fully fiat-backed regulatory compliant stablecoin in the Cardano ecosystem in the early part of 2023 when it's slated for launch. And there are other different types of stablecoins like JED, for example, so USDA will not be the only option. And this is significant because from a liquidity perspective and a market perspective, stablecoins are needed for DeFi to thrive. And Cardano DeFi struggled to get off the ground due to both immaturity of smart contracts and poor best practices for developers, or rather best practices hadn't been developed yet, but also due to the lack of stablecoins. So if you are a Cardano fan or a user, you gotta be really excited about the pieces on the board going forward into the next few pivotal years for crypto. I mean, Cardano is positioned really, really well here from a tech perspective and from a stability perspective, particularly when other projects in its area are not so stable. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel because I've got some good stuff coming for Cardano fans. And a quick coffee break. All right, so 
I alluded to a public service announcement for crypto holders just a bit earlier. So here it is. I've gotten a ton of questions about the bankruptcy proceedings for FTX and its effect on a company called Ledger X, one of the few companies actually that wasn't included in the initial bankruptcy proceedings so far. And after seeing the name Ledger X amongst FTX subsidiaries, people messaged me en masse asking whether Ledger, the hardware wallet manufacturer, is affected and if they should be worried about their cold storage wallets from Ledger. So I want to dispel any fear or misconceptions here right now. LedgerX, an FTX subsidiary, is a derivatives trading platform for Bitcoin and Ethereum that operates in the US. This company is under massive scrutiny from the CFTC, who are reportedly monitoring LedgerX daily to ensure user deposits are available at all times for withdrawal, and then no shady business is going on. LedgerX has nothing to do with Ledger, the French company that manufactures hardware wallets like the Ledger Nano S, S Plus, and X. If you have a hardware wallet from Ledger, that French company, you have nothing to worry about. Just keep that seed phrase safe and secure and be mindful of what you're signing transaction-wise. Read the transactions before you're signing and you're good to go. Okay, so Ledger is not directly affected by FTX and it has nothing to do with the company Ledger X, which is a totally separate organization. All right. So folks, it's time for 404 Logic Not Found, a firecracker of a segment on the show where we bring attention to illogical happenings in the crypto space. Oh, and man, there are many. But if you want to help this show get some attention, please hit the like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share the show with your friends. It's much appreciated. Bear markets are tough reviews, but you know what? That's how it goes. Now, today I'm covering what is sure to be a contentious topic because of the charged emotions around the subject, the mainstream media. Now, many criticisms can be laid to the media outlets that you see every day, no matter where you live in the world, and I feel the same way that you do about it. Frustrated. Angry. Insert emotion here. That's all rot from the complete misalignment of incentives between you and me and the media. They want attention. They want clicks. They want engagement. They want to be first to every story, and all of that often comes at the expense of correctness, integrity, and any degree of impartiality. No matter where you live in the world, whatever political affiliation you have, you are experiencing this and you are seeing this on all sides of the aisle and all corners of the world. You're probably wondering what the point of this is. Well, I will tell you. I am appalled by the number of media outlets who are allowing publication of articles that seem to cast Sam Bankman-Fried and his crew at Alameda and FTX either as heroes who made an honest mistake or right-wing enemies of the state. And I'm not making this up either or exaggerating. The first example of this ridiculousness was a piece by the New York Times not too long ago that at every turn of the piece failed to call Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX implosion what it really is, a complete disaster rife with fraud. Not only that, but at several points in the piece, the New York Times took every opportunity to cast Bankman-Fried as a good, honorable person who did a lot of good stuff and more good than bad, it really seemed. This is not only borderline criminally untrue, albeit subjective, but it's a blatant slap in the face to the millions of people whose billions of dollars Sam Bankman-Fried has directly or indirectly lit on fire right in front of their eyes. Countless people, and I don't care if you fed the hungry for decades or sang to babies in the infant ward every weekend, if you torch billions of people's savings on the edge of a recession, you're in the moral red for me, okay? But don't worry, though, the New York Times wasn't the only culprit. The Washington Post soon got in the game with an even worse headline and strapline tweeting, 
FTX collapse dooms founders' effort to prevent another pandemic. I mean, this is egregious, because no matter how you feel about the pandemic conversation, this is signaling straight to the entire world that Sam Bankman-Fried's donations to pandemic prevention causes and politicians somehow overshadow the millions of people his inept leadership has directly impacted financially and by proxy emotionally. It is sickening, frankly, pun intended, and there's more, because Forbes got in the game after that to publish a piece that focused on Caroline Ellison, the CEO of FTX-affiliated Alameda Research. On Twitter, Forbes stated in a tweet supporting the article, Alameda Research CEO Caroline Ellison is a math whiz who loves Harry Potter and taking big risks. She's also one of the supporting players in Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX catastrophe, and a new darling of the alt-right. Can you spot the problem here? At least they called FTX a catastrophe, but they painted Caroline Ellison as the darling of the alt-right. Are you joking? This is an unsubstantiated and very heft title to throw at someone, and ironically enough, Alameda and FTX were more affiliated with left-wing politics than right-wing politics, with Sam Bankman-Fried being among the top donors to Democratic politicians this cycle. And you know what? He's free to do that. That's perfectly reasonable. The only explanation as to the claim in the article was a brief paragraph about one small group of right-wing people on an obscure social media platform that no one has heard of that think Caroline is innocent and she's being set up by someone else at Alameda. I mean... Come on, that is not grounds to say she is a darling of the alt-right. By that logic, every celebrity you can think of is also a darling of the alt-right because they must have fans that are alt-right, right? However, the average person may take this at face value and think that it's true. They may even think Caroline Ellison is an alt-righter and not even read the article to see how little substantiation there is to this grave assignment of title. This is reckless journalism, in my opinion, if you can even call it that. Even more ironically, this comes not too long after Forbes featured Sam Bankman-Fried on the cover of their Dear magazine. Maybe they're trying to deflect attention from that fact. Who knows? What I do know is that these three examples, which are a few among many, the most egregious among many, are clear-as-day representations of the illogical, unethical, and frankly offensive ways that this FTX collapse and Sam Bankman-Fried's role in it are being excused or deflected. It's not okay, and I hope more people keep calling it out because it is unbelievable and horrendous. Now, last week on Crypto Over Coffee, we talked about the trend of proof of reserves where exchanges and depository entities in crypto are releasing uh, reports and are increasingly committed to releasing formal proofs about the assets they have in reserves to cover user deposits. This makes sense. This transparency is something that's been demanded for a while now, and again, thrust into focus with the FTX debacle. In the show last week, I noted that proof of reserves are much needed transparency, but only if they're accompanied by the contextual information like proof of liabilities as well, which give a clearer picture of the financial health of the organization. Now, I rarely agree with Bank of America on things, but this time I do, because they came out publicly to critique proof of reserves as an inadequate measure of risk, because the reporting is too easy to manipulate, and it doesn't give enough information by default to really understand the full picture. For one, because proof of reserves are a point-in-time review of asset holdings rather than an ongoing reporting cycle, it opens up potential for borrowing or other forms of temporary asset acquisition or reshuffling 
to show a more favorable picture on reserves than actually exist on the company's balance sheet. So borrowing Bitcoin to make it look like you have more or shuffling it from an owner, a CEO's wallet to the company wallet. This, of course, can be addressed by publicly releasing all reserve addresses so they can be monitored publicly on the public blockchain so that you can see that. But hey, that would be too obvious, right? Secondly, Bank of America mentions the liabilities concern that I highlighted last week. This is a critical part of any transparency reporting because without liabilities, you have no context as to the financial health of the organization. Even if you see their assets, you need to know what's offsetting those assets as liabilities. And finally, Bank of America pointed to stablecoins, saying that stablecoin holdings should not just be reported, but also audited because of the nature of their backing. Stablecoins also have their own reserves that give them value, and these must be audited as well for full trust in that value reported in proof of reserves. And all of these are pretty fair points, and I hope that we as a community demand the transparency we deserve from custodial services that we frequent, however temporarily we frequent them. And in other news, Matter Labs, the builder behind the popular Ethereum Layer 2 ZK Sync, just raised funds to the tune of 200 million, which is an eye-watering sum given the point that we are in the market. And this is to continue developing the tech and ecosystem around the EVM-compatible ZK Rollup network, ZK Sync. ZK Rollups, for those unfamiliar with full Ethereum virtual machine compatibility to run smart contracts natively, are often touted as the ultimate solution for scalability in the Ethereum ecosystem and abroad, allowing for high transaction throughput without sacrificing security or decentralization characteristics. In fact, some of the biggest DeFi players like <clears throat> Uniswap, Aave, OneInch, SushiSwap, they've already said and stated intent that they're going to deploy on ZK Sync. The 200 million raised by Matter Labs in a horrible bear market only reinforces the perceived importance of layer twos like it. And others like it in the ZK rollup family of technologies are likely going to continue to be popular as well. Better yet, in the wake of this good news, more good news came as well because Matter Labs signaled intent to open source the core code base for what goes into the full-scale mainnet launch of ZK Sync. And the process of mainnet launch is already underway, beginning in October with the first phase of mainnet launch. And I'm really excited to use ZK Sync as it gets finalized in mainnet through its phases but I'm also very happy that it's going to be fully open sourced because that's a non-negotiable in this space, in my opinion. Long may it continue. It helps the space build, it helps the space grow, and it lets organizations and companies and builders around the space borrow from projects that are really setting a great example of how to build good software. So really excited for all this and congrats to Matter Labs on the raise. Now, that's going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee today. Make sure you are subscribed and have notifications on on both the podcast platform and YouTube for the Q&A episode. If you're listening on the podcast platform, head over to the YouTube version of the show because I always post a Q&A episode that's exclusive to YouTube that you might want to check out. Definitely well worth your time. And you can leave a question in the comments to be answered next weekend. So with that, I'll leave a couple videos here for you to check out to learn more about this FTX disaster. Uh, but... I wish you and your family a wonderful week ahead. If you're celebrating Thanksgiving in the United States, happy Thanksgiving in advance. I will probably talk to you next weekend. Have a great one, and until next time, cheers.